1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Suggest you download that app. The days are dwindling for your availability at some pretty sweet hoops tickets. All you have to do is download the KDOS 1060 app. Key component is to make sure you register. After that, you can be qualified to enter in for those hoops tickets uh, coming up at month's end will be the official drawing. It is Thursday. It is December 7th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today as we're doing this week, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Let's set the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll start here with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Bob caught up with Christopher Price from the Boston Globe to talk all things New England Patriots. Uh, there's a lot happening in New England and a lot that could potentially be on the horizon here at season's end. Plus, there is a Thursday night game featuring the New England Patriots. But the question here is, should the Patriots and Bill Belichick part ways after this season, yes is overwhelmingly out in front at 82% of the vote, no trailing at 12%. Is it really featuring the New England Patriots or just kind of expected to attend? I think expected to attend. I thought it was funny that the one graphic they had, the uh, promoting the game last week, this was before Kenny Pickett's injury. Kenny was the Steelers player. Actually, no, I'm sorry. It was TJ wow. Watt was the Steelers player. And then for the Patriots, it was Bill Belichick. <laughs> okay, well, uh, this is a question I never thought I would ask, and I told Christopher Price that in the, from the Boston Globe in the last hour. I never thought I'd be asking him about this, but uh, we got to it eventually. Uh, very well uh, you know, organized uh, interview with the questions from me because I wanted to leave that for near the end. But uh, hopefully uh, for Bill, it's not the, the end, or maybe Bill actually might – Hope it's near the end for him, at least in New England. Yeah, you know, can you ever really tell what's on Bill's mind? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, that, 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 that's the easiest question you've ever asked me. <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah, so we'll officially provide our answer. Obviously, Christopher Price from the Boston Globe uh, provided his and kind of what's going on uh, inside and outside of that building in the area. And if you missed that interview, podcast it over at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app. Uh, we will officially provide our answer around 1230 today. Flipping it on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, rank the level of how much the Sun should be concerned about Bradley Beal's back. Uh, he hasn't played since November 12th. Uh, reports are from Shams Sharania that uh, he is expected to be reevaluated this week. So I guess that would be either today or tomorrow. He also has been ramping back up, according to Shams. The uh, masses, though, are on the high and moderate side of things at 50% each and low getting 0% of the vote. Yeah, and he might play within 10 days. So uh, that's kind of the point now where I think we'll believe that if we see it. 
and probably not until then. He's played three of the first 21 games. Yeah, not great uh, in terms of how often he has been on the court, and the big three have been on the court zero times together so far. That I didn't even think about, so you're way ahead of me on that. Uh, and unfortunately, when he's been on the court, he hasn't looked very good. Also uh, also true. Uh, so we'll officially answer that question here around 1230, and we'll have some time for uh, some Suns conversation a, bit, a little bit later on in the program. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join today's Today's program, 11.30 and 12.15 are the time slots, 602-260-1060. But I want to start here in the world of baseball, MLB offseason news getting underway. According to many different outlets, the Diamondbacks have made some news last night. They have agreed to a four-year contract, around $20 million a year, for left-handed starter Eduardo Rodriguez pending a physical. Rodriguez is 30 years old. Last season, he spent time with the Detroit Tigers. It was just 26 starts, 13 and 9 record, 152 and a third innings pitched. He did miss all of June with a ruptured pulley in his left index finger. 3.30 ERA, 143 strikeouts, 48 walks, and 15 home runs given up for him. Two seasons with the Tigers before that, 2015 to 2021 with the Red Sox. A lot going on in uh, the days of, uh, you know, at least this you know, this decade with Eduardo Rodriguez. Unfortunately for him, uh, the first thing I recall is you know, he had the COVID situation and you know, he had the heart situation involving uh, the COVID, you know, the COVID that he uh, you know, actually had an issue with. Uh, and uh, he, he didn't even pitch for that year uh, for you know, a variety of reasons. That obviously was top of the list. So there's that. Remember last year, you mentioned that he was injured in June, and that seemingly kind of took him out of the trade market. Before that, he was considered to be the number one starting pitcher available, according to some, in the trade market before uh, you know the August 1st, roughly August 1st deadline from last year. And then you know, he got hurt, and uh, people thought, well, he's probably not going to get traded. Then he actually was traded uh, from the – from the uh, Tigers to the Dodgers, but he refused to go to the Dodgers because of a no-trade clause, which is fine. But supposedly the reason that he gave is he wanted to be closer to his family, which is like in Florida, uh, and he didn't want to go to Los Angeles. So now he's signing a long-term deal as a free agent to go to Arizona. So I'm a bit baffled by all that. Uh, He's an excellent pitcher when healthy. Uh, he's had some other injuries other than just last year and other, uh, other than the COVID situation. So if health is a key here, so, you know, it's four, uh, four years and $80 million supposedly. Um, but there's also, you know, the incentive clauses for that to get you know, over a hundred million dollars by the time, uh, that four years ends, uh, that contract ends reportedly, according to at least the two reports that I read the last night or this morning. Uh, yeah, and so just a little bit more numbers-wise on Eduardo Rodriguez here. Career numbers for him, 196 starts, 82-53, and 53, a 4.03 ERA, 1,107 strikeouts, 376 walks issued, giving up 134 home runs. He does have some postseason experience from the Red Sox 2017-2018, and then in 2021 as a starter with the Red Sox. Um, you know, do you do you 
like this reported free agent signing here to help the starting rotation? And do you think it slides in well with Gallon, Kelly, Rodriguez, Fott? Well, I think it's most important that Fott's not the third starter. Uh, I know that Fott had a tremendous postseason, and people think that he's going to win the Cy Young Award next year or whatever they're thinking. Uh, I would not uh, feel comfortable uh, if you were, if I'm the Diamondbacks and he's the third starting pitcher entering next season. Uh, so that's kind of what's been up with the Arizona Diamondbacks here. And, of course, this is coming in addition to a move earlier on back in November, uh, solidifying that third base side of things with Eugenio Suarez uh, making a trade for him with the Mariners last season 598 at bats 139 hits 22 home runs and 96 RBIs 70 walks 214 strikeouts for him Uh, so with these kind of moves that the Diamondbacks are making what other positions would you like to see addressed bullpen outfielder etc let me go back to Suarez for a minute. I'm far from convinced that he's the answer at third base. I'm far from convinced that he can even play third base anymore. Uh, he can hit uh, to some extent. He's a very low batting average and a very high strikeout guy. And they obviously need some pop. Uh, that was a big problem last year with the exception of a, you know, a two-week stretch in the playoffs when it was home run derby for some mysterious reason because it was rarely home run derby during the six-month season. Uh, so he uh, he adds that, but uh, to me he's a designated hitter at this stage of his career. He's gone from a really he's not a young guy. He's gone from a, a you know, good third baseman. The Reds even foolishly tried him at shortstop for about two months, and they realized this is a bad idea. And then he goes to uh, Seattle and he played some third base, but I think now he's a DH. Uh, so I think that third base I think still needs to be filled. Uh, for at least somebody that can you know, make a routine play at third base and be a good defender and mix in with the rest of their good defensive team, especially in the infield. Well, the outfield, for that matter, pretty much everywhere. Uh, they were you know, arguably, maybe not even arguably, the best defensive team in baseball this past year. They still need to add, as I mentioned, it would be nice to have another you know, a, a guy that can actually play third base because I don't think that Suarez is an everyday third baseman, certainly right now. And also, I wouldn't mind if they added some another you know a bat that has some pop because, as I mentioned, that was a big problem for them last year. And I think the one thing that people just didn't want to pay attention to or ignore during the regular season is that even when the Diamondbacks were you know, had winning streaks and looked like things were going great, there were stretches where they really struggled to score runs because they needed three hits in an inning or a stolen base or going from first to third or second to home to score. And uh, you know, it's a lot easier to score runs if you hit more than the occasional home run. Uh, yes. You know, putting putting those uh, – what what is Tori Lovello's famous phrase for where you kind of start piecing these things together and then uh, you get rolling downhill, but it's not just, you know, just one – solo home run it's being able to get guys on base move runners over and then uh get a big time inning for for yourself yeah and uh you know if you can you, know, you don't have to depend on you know three hits in an inning or two hits in a stolen base and uh it's much easier to accomplish those things on a consistent basis 
I'm still curious. I mean, I don't think anybody believes that the Dodgers are basically do almost nothing in the second consecutive offseason. You still have the Otani thing out there. The San Francisco, uh, San Francisco Giants, and I said this a lot during the season last year, they almost were never, in fact, they might have never been healthy with everybody uh, that they counted on being simultaneously playing uh, on the field. Uh, but you know, I think that they, you know, let's assume that they're healthier. I already think they're pretty good. And uh, they're supposed in the Otani mix, and they're clearly looking to spend money, which they've been trying to do for two years. Remember, they thought they had Aaron Judge last year returning to Northern California, and then they, they didn't even get outbid by the Yankees for him. Uh, they actually offered more money than the Yankees did for Aaron Judge last year. So the Giants are looking to add, and uh, I would be stunned if they didn't find somebody to take their money this offseason. Well, sticking with, uh, you know, Aaron Judge, he's getting a new teammate here. After a wild day of various different reports, it finally became official. Juan Soto is a Yankee. The Yankees sent right-handed pitchers Michael King, Drew Thorpe, Randy Vasquez, Johnny Brito, and catcher Kyle Higashikawa to the Padres. The Yankees are also getting outfielder Trent Grisham in addition to Soto. Uh, the Yankees... They missed the playoffs, obviously, last year. They also finished 25th in runs scored in 2023 and 24th in OPS. Soto, at just 25 years old, he has 156 home runs, 627 walks, most in MLB history of anyone before their age 25 season. Glad you added the walks. He has an unbelievable eye for the strike zone. As somebody who got to see Frank Thomas in his heyday in Chicago, I thought that he was the best young player or you know, player under 30 uh, that uh, had a, a, just a, an incredible mastery of the strike zone. Uh, and uh, you know, Soto is you know, in that category. And uh, I think that those are his strengths. Obviously, uh, it looks like you know, it seems like Yankee Stadium is a perfect fit for him. Uh, but, yeah, he hits the ball over the all over the park. He's not just a pull hitter, but – I'm guessing he will become more of a pull hitter uh, with the short right field porch in Yankee Stadium. Uh, so it seems like that's a very good fit. However, uh, you know they they were not good. Uh, you mentioned the offensive numbers; they were pretty bad in every category uh, last year, in many categories at least. And I think that they need to add uh, some healthy, uh, reliable, or as reliable as you can be starting pitchers. Because, you know, they've counted on guys that uh, and paid a lot of money uh, for either, you know, in the trade route for Frankie Montas a couple of years ago, who has literally pitched no innings for them, pretty close to the zero innings in uh, the end of the uh, 2022 season. And then this past year, uh, he was injured. And then the, uh, Carlos Rodon, they spent a ton of money on and He didn't pitch hardly at all until like June of this year. They need... I think at least one starting pitcher, and there's no guarantee that that guy's going to be healthy once you sign him, but somebody that has at least a history of being able to stay healthy and pitch 200 innings. They need that as much as they needed Soto, in my opinion. Uh, speaking of Soto here, you know, the propo proposed outfield after they already traded for Alex Verdugo would be to put Verdugo in left, Aaron Judge in center, Juan Soto in right, and then have Giancarlo Stanton DH. 
Does any of this, you know, cause any concerns with some of the injuries that have piled up at times for some of these players? And then also with Soto being a part of that Padres lineup that everyone said, watch out, this is going to be so dangerous. Now just kind of changing teams and watch out, this is going to be such a dangerous lineup for hitters. Any concerns that that didn't really materialize before? Well, I don't know what was going on in San Diego. Uh, I don't think it was all a Juan Soto thing. That team was a mess for many reasons. It was poorly constructed in, in many, many ways, and I'm surprised to some extent that uh, the powers to be are still have jobs, quite frankly. And, you know, Bob Melvin wanted out of there, and he smartly got out of there, and he's now the San Francisco manager. Another reason that I like the Giants and uh, heading into the upcoming 2023 season. We'll see what they add roster-wise. But it's a ma- it's hard to imagine you can have more of a managerial upgrade than Gabe Kapler uh, to Bob Melvin. You know, Gabe Kapler seems to be a nice dude, but I just don't never quite understood what the hell he's doing during games, whether he be in Philadelphia or in San Francisco. Even though in San Francisco he was kind of uh, – I think he was kind of given like a blueprint to what to try to do every game because uh, there's such there's so much into metrics and whatever, and yeah, Melvin's into metrics but not as deep in uh, as uh, as Kapler was. And uh, Kapler, I think maybe was, if you want a job, if you want to have your job, here's how you're going to do things. And I think that that was you know some of what was going on in San Francisco, but uh, there's that. But uh, we'll, we'll see how all that all this rounds out. But I'm. Very, very curious to see how the Giants and the Dodgers try to improve their rosters, which need to be improved uh, before spring training hits in February. And Otani Watch will continue. I feel like we say Otani Watch often for various different things. Otani been saying wa- this for more than a year, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so where he's going to go play next season, still yet to be uh determined also bob is set to have a conversation with bob nightingale usa today tomorrow in the sports zone at 10 15 for more baseball yeah Yeah, it was about a year ago right now that bob nightingale for the first time i heard the otani to the dodger thing was with bob during like the winter meetings last year which is right now for this year That is absolutely true. A little bit about Thursday night football on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Check out the Doug Gottlieb Show Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDOS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. It is Thursday. It is December 7th. Bob Kim, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Thursday night football tonight. Explain this one to me. Uh, the Patriots are six-point underdogs. The Steelers, six-point home favorites. The over-under sitting at 30 and a half. Do they think the Steelers are going to score enough points for themselves to be six-point victors or more? Or are they thinking, like, somebody's going to get an interception or a fumble or something, and that's how the offensive points are going to be scored? 
Well, maybe. Um, you know, this is a really bad game, needless to say. And uh, the Steelers are uh, still in the playoff situation, even after last week's disaster against the Cardinals. And both these teams, as is the case for a lot of Thursday night games, have a bunch of dudes that are hurt. Uh, the Patriots, who are notorious and have been for years, of having the most lengthy injury report in the NFL on a weekly basis. Uh, remember, they used, to, they used to list Tom Brady as questionable every week uh, for years, whether he was questionable or not. He was going to play, and he was always listed as questionable or at least on the injury report every week. And uh, you know, they've already declared that you know, Stevenson obviously is out after the nasty-looking ankle injury from last week. I would actually be surprised if he played again this season. Uh, he's out, and Demario Douglas, who has you know, been their best wide receiver, uh, you know, Christopher Price even mentioned that specifically in the last hour. He's out tonight with a concussion. Uh, so those guys are definitely out. And you know, like I mentioned, it's Thursday night, so the injury reports are usually more lengthy anyway. And then a lot of teams don't even practice Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and the practice reports are estimated practice reports. Uh, for Pittsburgh, Kenny Pickett is obviously out after he was injured and had the, he had the ankle surgery on Monday following that Cardinals game. Yeah, Landon Roberts, who has been really good for the Steelers this year. Ray, Ray Fittipaldo mentioned uh, him to with, with us specifically last week when we previewed the Steelers and Cardinals. He got hurt in the first quarter of that game last week. He has a groin injury. He's listed as questionable uh, for tonight's game. And then you know, it's Minka Fitzpatrick actually broke his left hand in the first half of that game against the Cardinals last week, and he's not even listed. He's, he's not even you know, he's he's going to play. Uh, he played the second half of that game with a broken hand against the Cardinals, and Najee Harris uh, is listed as questionable here with a knee injury. Uh, even though I did hear on NFL Network this morning that they anticipate that he will play, even though he's officially listed as questionable. That's what I heard as well this morning on Najee. A couple of other things on Najee here. Uh, for the Steelers, it's going to be Mitchell Trubisky. And so uh, they're making a big deal about this this week that they threw, you know, a softball question to Najee about, you know, what kind of leader is Mitchell Trubisky and, you know, what do you like from him, et cetera. And uh, his response was, it's fine, I guess. So then they asked him to elaborate, like, what kind of leader is he? And he says, vocal, I guess. So not really a very ringing endorsement well, there. Well, it's interesting that Najee Harris is even speaking because most weeks this season and almost every week this season, he has refused to talk to the media. And he's even been fined for it. Uh for the Steelers, Mitchell Trubisky here at quarterback, as I mentioned, uh, he is quoted as saying, we're trying to score points. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to take care of the football, and we've got to play better as an offense. But to your point about what's kind of been going on here, I think it was a couple of weeks ago I saw this, that the Athletic did a player poll. And the question was, what coach, head coach, would you most like to play for that's not your own? And Mike Tomlin won that. He, he won that anonymous poll. 
But it's interesting here because there's been a lot of kind of extracurriculars and uh, dissension, et cetera, frustration on the offensive side of the ball this season. But it's not just necessarily this season. Uh, you've had some issues here wide receiver-wise. You could go through uh, uh, Deontay Johnson, Pickens. You could go prior to that with Chase Claypole. You could go prior to that with Antonio Brown. Uh, just kind of interesting to see how things are kind of uh, unfolding, at least on the offensive side of the ball, but it still seems like the defensive side of the ball uh, has the glue together. You know where I'm going with this. I always go to the offensive line. I'm amazed, continually amazed, of how when some skill performers are not participating at the level that's expected, that hardly anybody ever brings up the offensive line. This air yard stat just drives me crazy. That quarterback get ripped because they don't have you know X number of air yards. Almost always, those teams have bad offensive lines, and the quarterback, while he may be able to have the physical strength to get the ball down the field, doesn't have the time to get ball the ball down the field because it's really hard to throw the ball down the field when you're on your back, or on your butt, or have some body part hitting the ground. Uh, and that's been definitely the case for the Steelers. I think the biggest problem for the Steelers for two, three years now has been the offensive line. While it's gotten somewhat better this year, certainly it wasn't good last Sunday uh, against the Cardinals in the area that most people, myself included, I'm raising my hand, trust me here, folks, uh, that, uh, that that was the area you thought the Cardinals would be most uh, you know, basically manhandled. And the Cardinals had the advantage in the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball last Sunday in Pittsburgh. Flipping this to the Patriots side of things, you had asked me last week if Bailey Zappi getting the start was going to make any difference. I simply said no. Uh the lines, the numbers to back up kind of what we're seeing here tells the story as well. Bailey Zappi as a starter this year, 52% completion percentage, 242 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, five sacks. He does have two interceptions in various different relief roles so far this year. For Mac Jones, though, it's interesting to see his splits from September, October, November. And you could also kind of see it watching him too, that he just looked increasingly more and more lost as the time was going on. In September, his number 64.8% completion percentage, five touchdowns, two picks, six sacks. October, 68.1% completion percentage, four touchdowns, six picks, 10 sacks. November, 60% completion percentage, one touchdown, four interceptions, and six sacks. Mac may not be, uh, you know, NFL caliber starter in this league here. Um, now you bring in Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator, somebody he worked with in Alabama, et cetera. Was the damage just too far done with what happened to him in his sophomore year? And then kind of how you're in, you're out, not really having that stability, not having an offensive line, as you mentioned, and not having uh, wide receivers that can get some separation, just all of it together really stacked it up against him to have success like he did uh, at the start of his rookie campaign. Okay, I'd say at the start. But by the end of that uh, rookie campaign, he sucked that year too. I mean, I've pointed this out a billion times. We've done all these preseason previews of the Patriots for you know two, three years now. I've brought it up a couple of times during seasons. His numbers in the last four or five games in that rookie season were really, really bad. And I think that the Patriots' decline started 
in that offseason when they did not realize or recognize or you know try to improve this, that they realized, well, maybe we don't have a franchise quarterback here. I was never in favor of him being a first-round draft pick by any team in the NFL. When I was watching him at Alabama, thought he was a product of an incredible group of wide receivers who we see on several teams now in the NFL making plays. And he got to the NFL. He had some early success. Once teams actually got to play against him and see him, he wasn't very good by the end of that season. And it's not a surprise. I seem to be the only person in the world that seems to be surprised that he's just not any good. And he should not be an NFL starting quarterback on almost any team. And that's saying something this day and age of quarterbacks in the NFL. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the quarterbacks because we got into it a little bit yesterday. And then it was like they were reading our minds or something. Uh, Matt Verderame of SI.com put together his rankings of NFL quarterbacks going here into week 14. So going through some of those lists of quarterbacks on the other side of the break, if you'd like to join the conversation, feel free to do so. 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll take your calls now. Talk to you on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point 1140 here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. So yesterday we had a conversation about quarterbacks in the NFL, how it relates to where Kyler Murray kind of stacks up in the 32 teams in the NFL right now. And then if anything kind of changes about looking at some of the prospects and where the Cardinals could potentially finish ahead of the 2024 NFL draft. Uh, so today I saw Matt Verderame of SI.com put together a rankings of NFL quarterbacks going into week 14. So I was curious, well, where does Kyler land on this list? Well, I thought we could go through the quarterbacks here and then I'm sure you know which question is coming once we get to Kyler Murray. Uh, number one, to absolutely no surprise, though, is Patrick Mahomes. Um, specifically, this Sunday is a huge game for the Chiefs and for the Bills, and a huge game in a way that we probably didn't think about heading into the season, just about where these two teams are, 8-4, and 6-6, six and six, respectively. Uh, we have been seeing, though, um, and discussing a lot about it for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs is wide receiver drops all season long. Uh, my question here is, you know, 
Did they kind of get complacent thinking that Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes and that he'll be okay no matter who else is out on the field with him, uh, that, you know, he's so good that he's able to elevate anyone else around him with his game and his performance? Did some of the cap situation play into a factor here, or did they kind of just misjudge the free agents, who they had, and then some of the draft picks? I think they've uh, much more. I, I understand the complacency angle for sure, but I do think you know, they've made attempts to get guys, uh, whether it be with the Tony trade or whatever. And they've made they've certainly drafted wide receivers. And I think that they've done a. I think that it's more that they've misjudged the think the the talent that they thought that they were bringing in. They got some pretty mediocre players. Uh, I understand. Um, the skill set fascination, uh, but these guys haven't panned out. Also, I think the one thing that has not been talked about enough is that their offensive line is not nearly as good this year as it has been, including the three studs in the middle who were still good, but those guys were like elite uh, in recent years, and they've been less than elite this year. It's interesting as well because they did try to shore up that offensive line, bringing in two new tackles. That's true, and uh, that's actually those guys have gotten better as the season has continued. As uh, you know, I think that you know, was it uh, forgot which network was the chief were the Chiefs on last week? But they were talking about how you know uh, the, the right tackle. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it's, it was Collinsworth. Okay, uh, so you know the right tackle that situation's gotten much better. In fact, that yeah, was NBC because they were talking about they compared it to the first game of the season, which they also did. And that you know, that was a game where I forget the right tackle's name came from came from, uh, from Taylor Jacksonville. Juwan Taylor. Yeah. Remember he was lined up wrong and couldn't get the you know it was, it was a mess. Uh, and he actually gave up a whole bunch of sacks the first couple of games, but he's gotten much better. So the, the tackle situation has gotten better, but th- this offensive line has not performed as a unit and nearly as well as the last couple of years. Number two on this quarterback list here is Josh Allen. Uh, He's so important to what the Bills are able to do on offense, and we have certainly talked about uh, his struggles this season, decision-making in certain critical moments here, uh, some fourth-quarter decisions, et cetera. But I guess the question here for his importance to this Bills team is where would this Bills offense be without him? Um. Well, if you asked me this question two or three weeks ago, as opposed to before the last two games where their offense was much better, I would say it'd be about the pretty average, which is, you know, I don't do, I really disagree with Josh Allen being number two on this list. Uh, he certainly, I understand the talent level, uh, but he has uh, had a lot of them, lot of the, a lot of them losing games as much as he has winning games. The one thing I'm curious about, though, yeah, last year we learned after the season, but we kind of thought during the season that he had some issues. Yeah, I remember he got hurt. Remember he got injured in that game against the Jets last year, uh, and never really was a hundred percent after that. And you remember this year he got hurt on the Thursday night game. I uh, forgot who they were playing, but on the Thursday night game, Isn't that and then the, Giants? the K- Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, but who? Uh, I don't think that was a Thursday night game. I think that was a Sunday night game. But whenever oh. they played that third, the reason I say Thursday nights because Kaylee Hartung reported that you know he went in the medical tent and there was something wrong with his arm or his shoulder, and the Bills seemed to basically dispute that. But I don't think there's any question 
that something was going on there for a while. Number three on this list I had on my notes is too, too high. So now I'm very curious if three is too high here for Lamar Jackson. I do think that this is where things get really interesting for the Ravens and this new look offense with Todd Munkin uh, because Mark Andrews is going to be missing some significant time. The connection has always been there for Lamar and Mark Andrews. Touchdown production very high with Mark Andrews in the red zone here. So I think it's going to put more on Lamar to come through, especially late in games to win games you mentioned the late games and i don't care what they do in the regular season and i've been saying this for two or three years running now and i know he was hurt the last couple years but he's got such a horrendous and i mean horrendous postseason history that i don't care what they do in the reg. they could go 17 and zero in the regular season and i'm not buying it until he does something in the postseason uh, the Ravens have won games this year more because of their defense than anything else. They lead the league in sacks. So they had, and it's not getting they're not slowing down. They've had 20 sacks in their last four games. Uh, so the pass rush is continuing. They've won some games with special teams. They've been the running game is. I think that's the biggest surprise. It, it's much more of a diverse running game than it was with. Kind of Lamar, and if they get to the goal line, they might use somebody else in the running game. Uh, so that's been different. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't dis or I don't think he's playing poorly. But yeah, I think there are more. The re- some of the reasons I just mentioned; those are the the things that stand out to me. Why the Ravens have been as good as they have been so far this season. Number four on this quarterback list is Dak Prescott. Uh, He has a league-high 26 touchdown passes, and he is truly playing some of the best football right now. Uh, I think we could also maybe even argue uh, some of the best stretch of his career. I would say the best stretch of his career. Um, Hopefully for him and uh, for everybody, uh, life in general, Mike McCarthy will be able to coach uh, on Sunday and, and be there after the appendectomy situation yesterday. Uh, he's made a huge difference. Uh, and I'm not that surprised because I didn't really understood the Kellen Moore thing. Uh, and I think if you, uh, I assume we're going to get to Justin Herbert here soon. Uh, Kellen Moore certainly has not solved Justin Herbert's issues. Uh, so, you know, Kellen Moore was, uh, you know, fired basically from Dallas. And I think that was a wise move by the Cowboys. And, you know, basically, you know, remember McCarthy inherited Kellen Moore. Uh, once again, Jerry Jones, uh, you know, um, you know, just uh, stubborn. And uh, Kellen Moore should have been out of Dallas before this year, and Dak would have done better. We will be getting to Justin Herbert, but maybe not as quickly as other lists have been in the past. Uh, number five here in the quarterback rankings is Jalen Hurts. This year, 66.5% completion percentage for him, 2,995 yards, 19 touchdowns, 10 picks, 32 sacks, 121 carries, 430 yards, and 12 touchdowns on the ground. Interestingly enough, as I looked at it this morning, 66.5% completion percentage so far on the season, that's the exact same same number he finished with last season here uh there does seem to be a little bit of a difference though this year compared to last year and to me it seems to fall on play calling well i don't i can't say that Uh, i don't disagree with it but i can't agree with it uh you know he's already thrown more interceptions this year and he's thrown into any other any other year in his career so far he's got a career high right now in interceptions and a couple of those have been very untimely, especially early in games. 
And uh, you know, they've been chasing points almost always in the second half. And before last week, they had four consecutive comeback victories. And a lot of those were double-digit comeback victories. And part of the reason is because Hertz has not made some plays in the first half and put till, you know, the interceptions. And I know I remember one, he lost one fumble in a game and helped put them behind in games. He's been so good in the fourth quarter, though, in the clutch, that he's bailed his team out really last year and this year. He's been unbelievable in the game on the line. Uh, but the, he needs to become better to start games. And there's no question that the knee thing that he had going on early in the season was an issue. And we talked about the Eagles uh, yesterday's show that you know, the knee thing seems to have gotten better here of late. And uh, you know, they've been reluctant to kind of officially put him on injury reports uh, for most of the season. But I think now it's kind of justified because it doesn't look like he's hobbling around anymore. You could see him clearly limping around in some games earlier this year, and he's not doing that now. One more question that I thought of listening to you talk about that here, specific to last Sunday's game hosting the 49ers. You know, I think there was a bit of an element of the Eagles had just a lot of emotion and they played with a lot of energy and emotion. And then just the fact that they had a physically brutal schedule kind of caught up to them here. And before you know it, the 49ers, who are a very good football team, steamrolled right over them. But you're looking at those first two possessions where the Eagles are up 6 nothing. If you're able to be 14 nothing, you have to ask the question, does it change anything? We don't know, obviously. But... In listening to what you were saying, do you think that that was more 14 nothing versus 6 nothing play-calling situations getting down in the red zone or execution situations getting down in the red zone? Yeah, I still don't. I've, you know, I've watched every play the Eagles have had this year, so I can't even really answer the play-calling question. Uh, so maybe that's – I'm not saying that it's not an issue, uh, but I think it's been more – he's been – he started slowly. They have started slowly. And uh, that needs to change no matter you know, who's playing, what's going on. Clearly, they've missed Goddard, uh, who got injured in the first Dallas game, and uh, Goddard's expected to return for this Dallas game this week. Yeah, he was missing in action. They weren't able to get him the football there for the first, what, three, four weeks of the season. Everyone thought he's going to be great in a prop bet scenario, fantasy football scenario. Then they finally yeah. woke up and got him the football and the offense seemed to move a little bit more. And then he's been hurt, as you mentioned, for the last uh, couple of games for the Eagles. Yeah, I think he's missed like three or four games now, but he's expected to be back this week. And uh, we'll see. I, I, that also you know, has hurt the running game, too, because he's a tremendous blocker. Uh, maybe the best blocking tight end in the NFL. We have more quarterbacks in this list here from Matt Verderame of SI.com. We haven't quite gotten to Kyler Murray yet. We're through five quarterbacks of the 32 teams in the NFL. We'll continue on on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. Wrapping up hour number one here on KDUS 
AM 1060. We'll continue this conversation into hour number two as well. Uh, quarterback conversation about uh, those quarterbacks in the league as it is right now and kind of how they stack up. Where does Kyler Murray fall in this particular list? We've been through one through five as it is. We'll go to number six. Maybe a bit surprising here. Maybe not. It's rookie C.J. Stroud. High praise for the rookie here. 63.4% completion percentage, 3,540 yards, 20 touchdowns, five interceptions. Three of those five came against the Arizona Cardinals a couple of weeks ago. 31 sacks. I am curious, though, now with the loss of Tank Dell at wide receiver, how that's going to change anything for this offense. I do think that they are going to need to get Dalton Schultz back and healthy as that connection was starting to really uh, heat up for C.J. Stroud. That's definitely made a difference, no doubt. And you mentioned the Dell thing. Uh, you know, I don't know if he could be. I'm actually surprised he's this high on this list uh, at this early stage of his career. But I'm guessing the the thought, uh, you know, the evaluation of him was even better uh, before the last month. And not you know the Cardinals game. Obviously, had the three picks all in the red zone. Or it was all within the 30 yard line. Two in the red zone. One with like the 25 or whatever was in the post snap. But the score position, uh, you know, would have gotten points for the thought, even though their field goal kicking hasn't been very good. But whatever. Uh, but, you know, the fact that uh, you know, he's done this well so soon, uh, you know, I'm a little surprised that you know, as much as I, and I like I liked him. It's, you know, I thought he'd be the best quarterback this year's quarterback class a couple of years ago uh, when he was like a junior at Ohio State. So I'm not surprised he's been, uh, been successful in his rookie season. But no way I thought he'd be this good at his highest level of play so far this year. Yeah, I was very surprised to see him inserted here at number six. Obviously, there's been a lot to praise him for in his rookie campaign. But just kind of uh, a couple of quarterbacks that are normally perennially on this list in the top five. Uh, C.J. Stroud is ahead of and, and another quarterback who we just touched on yesterday in the MVP conversation. We haven't even touched on him yet. Ooh, we'll continue. Good tease. <laughs> we'll continue on as we start our number one next.